It can't be the worst thing that ever happened because I'm about to yell at you for like an hour and a half about Richard Nixon. An hour and a half. about how the right wing can't make art so they just wait 20 years and then steal it my name is robert and i am your host today i am joined by a truly incredibly incredible guest the entity known only as raron so you are the one spoken of from prophecy the once and future speaker of the house who will save us from having to ever read an article about it again so Raron, what will you do to improve C-SPAN's watchability in the coming months? We will be in the house rules that will be adopted unanimously. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, right, nothing to add to that. Yeah, no, there isn't anything. Aaron, Rachel, introduce yourselves. Hey, I'm Rachel. Uh, pronouns are she and her. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to hear what I missed uh, for the first part of country music. Oh, well, yeah. I thought you were there and you were just staring in utter no. shock and Remember awe I was the so hungover, time, you? I couldn't even oh, leave that's right. my bed. <laughs> the absolute worst hangover I've ever had as an adult. That's my favorite thing about getting slowly older is that I just, the hangovers get incrementally worse with every passing year. Oh, so <laughs> yeah, bad. they do. Yeah. They do. It's like, like they just stretch on, even if they're not that bad, they just last longer. Yeah. Well, and now I've learned also that like my gag reflex has become a lot worse. So now I'll just like <laughs> smell something when I'm hungover. And I'm like, oh my God. So yeah. Times over here. Yeah. That's why trying to be an alcoholic this holiday season with my 24 year old brother has not gone to plan. And and Rachel, does that mean um so your next vacation, I'm assuming, is gonna be uh either Hong Kong or Bangkok to a night market and you're gonna just smell all of the stuff? Oh my food god, that banned. sounds oh, <laughs> oh that's a death wish. Just go in there and rub your face in some durian. <laughs> uh I've been lucky enough to escape that thus far. I don't know. How if did I you ever escape that? It. I don't know. Oh but I've only heard of it, I've never seen it. Yeah, it's something. I just read a book, uh, yeah, true to branding, called Kosher Chinese, about a Jewish guy who was uh, volunteering with the Peace Corps in central China. And stinky tofu pops up a lot. And every time it did, I just remember the night markets. And- <laughs> Kosher <laughs> Chinese is literally the setup to Woody Allen jokes. <laughs> it absolutely is. <laughs> Yeah, just a, a long. It's. I mean, it's. That's one. That's like a two-hour, fifteen-minute movie, set around Christmas, starring. <laughs> it's. It's going to be like him trying to remember when he was younger. So it's going to be Seth Rogen. Oh God! <laughs> and it's about a guy who gets stranded in Boise, I think. And uh, just and some... marries the and falls in love and marries the only Chinese woman in Boise. <laughs> well, he views it as rescuing her. Yeah, and uh, okay. the, it's not like a Hallmark movie where they settle down there. They they once the snow the blizzard passes, they take the first flight they can out to New York. Yep. 
And then he has sex with her daughter later in life. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, welcome to Pitchcast, where we pitch movies (laughs) to Woody Allen. (laughs) Woody Allen. Even though all his movies are the same movie, they are all the same movie. There was only one of them that I've liked, and it was the it was the one with Larry David. The correct answer is play it again, Sam. Have you not seen that one? I have not seen that one. <laughs> Woody Allen gets coached on how to pick up women by the ghost of Humphrey Bogart. And it is an incredible <laughs> fucking movie. All right. I might have to watch that one. Okay, it's really good. <laughs> it's this guy who does a really good Humphrey Bogart being like, I don't know, Woody, maybe you should just hit that woman. And then Woody Allen's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> fucking incredible. This is where we get canceled for saying that we like some Woody Allen movies. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> this is where we get obliterated. Yeah. The the Maoists find out about us and write about us on the internet. <laughs> Chairman Mao, famously more moral than Woody Allen. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, I need to send you this art, this this review. I found a review uh, that the Maoist International Movement wrote about Spider Man Two. And it's really good. It is unhinged. Wow. All right. Yeah. Bring it on. It's really good. <laughs> all right. So now Aimed that we've discussed people with senses of humor, we're not starting yet. Yeah. We're talking about Maoists. And we're Spider-Man talking about Maoists. <laughs> we're playing uh, Spider Man Remastered on PC, and there's the uh, the outfit you can unlock. That's just a Chairman Mao outfit. <laughs> That would be that would make me play Spider Man on PC. It's a very fun game. Yeah, it is, but it's man. it's nice to have something that is neither grim nor dark. <laughs> I can't play another thing that makes me climb stuff in order to collect loot. Well, yeah, but you also thwip. <laughs> is that what that's called? Thwip. Yeah. Oh, thwip. I didn't know I had a name. Yeah, yeah. You just thwip through Manhattan. That's great. It would only be better if you could go into Brooklyn and like find yourselves <laughs> in the middle of a bunch of black hat Jews. That'd be funny. <laughs> this is where I pitch a game. Yeah. <laughs> Jewish Spider-Man. Jewish Spider-Man. It's it's right there. All you need is just a quick name change. Just essentially Spider-Man. Yeah, change nothing about the character. <laughs> yeah, no, not even not a little bit. <laughs> Ooh. All right, fine. All right. Start so great. Off. Now that we've discussed Woody Allen and Spider Man, um, <laughs> wait, what can... about Warhammer? Warhammer. <laughs> um, we can continue my Dostoevsky like dive into madness through the genre of country <laughs> music. If you haven't listened to part one, it's an unnecessarily long history that somehow manages to be too short. <laughs> um, but, but yeah i mean you if you when you listen to it you'll hear me have a mental breakdown at several points <laughs> you will remembering the early 2000s yeah <laughs> oh. but don't fear listener now that the history is out of the way we can get into what this podcast is really about sighing audibly while rubbing our faces as someone <laughs> with a nasally voice screams about nazis <laughs> Oh, that really that's is. our like intro. Our yeah. Yeah. That's In other our words, intro from just now great on. audio content. <laughs> <laughs> no more of this trying to define what we actually do. It's just we sigh audibly and rub our faces. Yep, yep. In this section, the second section, pardu as the French say. <laughs> we, French. <laughs> yep. We will be focusing on the seminal political events that turned modern radio country into the unlistenable filth that it is today. (laughs) 
<laughs> Those events are Richard Nixon and 9 11. Because there wasn't enough 9 11 in the last episode. No, no, not nearly enough. Do you, are we going to recap what we talked about last time for Rachel? Yeah. Uh... For the sake of our, of our, of our dear, dear friend here. Yeah. 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 So uh country music started with a bunch of backwoods hillbillies beating on instruments that didn't really work. Uh it was very pro-labor. It was very pro, it was very like multiracial. And then they made money and it became white and very straight. And then Richard Nixon ruined America and country music, but we'll get into that. Uh there was still some good stuff happening though, because Richard Nixon couldn't kill everything we love without a little time. <laughs> Uh, but then Richard Nixon did 9-11 and that yeah. effectively killed everything. That was, okay. I mean, that's of course well after he killed JFK. Yeah, no. I mean, <laughs> well after. I do get to talk about the assassination of one of the Kennedys in this episode, which makes me happy. I, I'm sure I can just yeah. imagine like it's it's pitch black. You got the 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 screen illuminating your face as you type. Then Kennedy died, and there's a little grin on your face. Yeah, you know, yeah, it wasn't the Kennedy that I kind of like. Yeah, as I, as much as politicians, it was Robert Kennedy who can yeah. always fucking eat a bullet. Um, <laughs> that that catch twenty two joke. Yeah. I told you that one. No. Um, there, I, I think it was. I'm gonna. I don't remember. It was. I'm gonna botch it specifically. <laughs> but it was like that, that was me going up to anyone at a bar in yeah. my head. That's the <laughs> That's my walk up music as I try to hit on anyone. It was basically, uh, yeah. Talk about a catch twenty two. I don't get it. <laughs> yep, you nailed it. Caught a twitch. Caught a caught a twenty-two. Oh, caught a twenty-two. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, oh my god. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the original uh, joke was much better than that. But. You don't say. Um, <laughs> so while we talked a little about Richard Nixon and nine eleven in the previous section, really spending some time picking through those two, let's call them tragedies, can show us something important. It can show us how the right wing takes moments of national anxiety and uses it to center to censor artists and make us all homogenous drones. In short, the government doesn't really need to censor you because your racist uncle and capitalism always will. Societal pressure always wins out more than yeah. up down or top down. Up down. Top down. Yeah. Up down. I'm up down. Fine. Down up. Up is top and down is down. <laughs> up top. Facts. Yeah. Down, <laughs> up down. down. Up top. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so of these two events, we will start with Richard Nixon because that is how time works. <laughs> yep, that makes sense. Do we need to go further back, explain maybe the formation of America and how it, it came out of a lot of different, you know, milieus, but really European. And then we need to discuss how various peoples came together to form what we know as Europe now. But before that, you have mass migrations from various portions of the globe. But before that, you had a single kind of hunter-gatherer band that kind of escaped containment, as it were, out of the Horn of Africa. But before that, there were primates. (laughs) But before that, there was a big fucking meteor. And really, that should have... It didn't go far enough. 
Yeah, no, it really didn't. In short, if you want to know about history, listener, um, <laughs> the most inbred person controlled the greatest amount of land, and then they killed each other about it. Yes. There you go. Bully the Habsburg guy on Twitter. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. If you what if you find his handle or if you see it next time on Twitter, will you send it to me? Because I tried to search for it the other day and I failed. It's really great. Yeah, it's Gust- I don't know, Gustavus Adolphus Habsburg is. That's yeah. why I couldn't find his profile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. So, Aaron, Rachel, what do you already know about friend of the pod, Dick, Black people aren't smart enough to be communist spies, Nixon? It's a long nickname, but it's something he said. (laughs) Uh, I know that there is nothing more heartwarming than listening to his drunk conversations with Henry Kissinger. (laughs) I like that you accidentally said heartwarming. Yeah, no, it is heartwarming. (laughs) Heartwarming, yes. Heartwarming and heartwarming. Yes. just listening to the one man who pretended to be Nixon's friend. <laughs> oh, despite him calling him Little Jew Boy. Yeah, despite him calling. Yep. Wonderful man. No notes. Yep. Perfect guy. Exemplar of Quakers everywhere. Was he a Quaker? <laughs> he was a Quaker. Jesus fucking wow. Christ. Yeah, Quakerism really took a hit after <laughs> the Civil War, apparently. It just goes to show you that uh, every brand can be corrupted. Yeah. yeah maybe a non-practicing Quaker. Absolutely yeah. non-practicing. <laughs> yeah. <that was laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, go ahead, Rachel. Uh, no, I mean, it's like every time I think about the things that Richard Nixon did, I always forget one. So, like, I was thinking about, well, actually, how him and his wife had that astrologist lady who was a complete fraud. But then you jog my memory about the whole Henry Kissinger thing. And so it's like, there's just so much around that man Yeah, that he did. Nixon is yeah. quite Stemless. a guy. He's a wonderful dude. There, yep. One of my favorite bits in uh, The Good Place is when the bad place demons are uh, in, uh, what's her names? Um, mansion and they're playing, they're doing karaoke, but it's the Nixon tapes. and it it kicks off with the thing you have to understand about the jew in america (laughs) that's fucking awesome yeah it was a really good bit and the quote that i said about black people not being smart enough to be communist spies it's actually nixon's aide that says that and then nixon goes yeah maybe and then (laughs) nixon says um but the jews are born spies is the next line (laughs) A man with very complicated views on race, not unlike D and D Fifth Edition. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of the many similarities between Richard Nixon and Fifth Edition D and D. Yeah, so Nixon is definitely in his own personal hell right now. I assume <laughs> screaming up at us as his jowls are melted into glue to create a scrapbook about someone's bar mitzvah. <laughs> Your, your Jew boy isn't as smart as my Jew boy was. <laughs> Ooh. Well, there are many ways that Nixon ruined American culture. To understand the enduring effect that old Tricky Dicky had on the evolution of country music, we have to study the 1968-1972 elections a little bit. Also known as the things that ruined everything, which I say about a lot of stuff, but it's always true. Um, it's because everything always ruins everything. Accurate. Yeah. 
Let's start with 1968, because once again, that is how time works. It does come before 1972. But to to discuss 1968, we must first really discuss 1945. And in order to discuss 1945, we must first discuss 1812. (laughs) But really, to discuss 1812, we have to discuss 1793. But in order to discuss 1793, Aaron Simon has been kicked from the call. (laughs) (laughs) So, 68 was one of those rare elections in American history where there were three viable candidates all running in the general. The first was the Democrat, Hubert Humphrey. He got where he was because, like all of us, Humphrey benefited from someone putting a bullet in Robert Kennedy. (laughs) Cuba Libre, indeed, Bobby. (laughs) <laughs> the the cutting analysis you will not hear on CNN. <laughs> God, I fucking hate that guy. He's ready to turn the whole world into glass. Yeah, a lot of people were, but yeah. What a fucking asshole. Now, I mean, you, here's the thing. There's a short story collection I read a while ago called Motoron, where the world is basically paved over with plastic. Oh. <laughs> and like everyone... Uh, like most of most men in this, well, no, no, it's like a subset of men transfer basically their brains and like a couple of organs onto these big metal chassis and take over these big fortresses where they just attack each other. And, uh, (laughs) would that be a good apocalypse scenario versus everyone nukes each other? Which one would you rather live in? I'm going with plastic world. Yeah, because that means you get to live, at least. I feel like there's less of a chance with a nuclear war. (laughs) Yeah, all right. Okay. I keep trying to read that, but it just never makes it to the top of my list for some reason. It's such a good fucking collection of stories. It's so weird. Delight. It's like Philip K. Dick. If Philip K. Dick were not uh, completely unhinged. Yeah, yeah. David Bunch, Motoron, go read it. You know who else read that? Robert Kennedy. But he never got to finish it. He never Um, got to finish it. Yes, this shot cleared Humphrey's admittedly milquetoast past the nomination. His campaign was about continuing the previous president's war on poverty, support for the civil rights movement, and just fucking killing every child in Vietnam. Um, The second candidate was George Wallace. If you're elderly or a history person, you might know him as America's longest sitting governor, one of America's longest sitting governors. If you're not either of those things, you probably know him from your middle school textbook, which highlighted his inspiring work as one of his generation's greatest racists. (laughs) That's saying something. There are a lot of really big racists. That was much. It was the golden age of boxing and of racism in the 1960s. (laughs) Yeah. Um, do we know Nixon's views on racism? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. We know his views oh, on, now we know. <laughs> on boxing. Sorry. I think his take on boxing was uh, too many black people, I would assume. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I personally know George Wallace from the truly great Drive By Truckers album, Southern Rock Opera. Everyone listen to the Drive By Truckers. Yeah. Um, in short, <laughs> um, I have a typo in my script. That's kind of funny. But um, in short, Wallace was racist for Congress in the 1960s, like by those standards. 
Which makes Strom Thurman was but a hatchling. Yeah. So in this race, we have an unlikable liberal, an unlikable Nazi, and then Richard Nixon, a man who has only ever been charismatic by comparison. (laughs) Nixon was terrified of Wallace because despite being a Democrat, Wallace was running to the right of Nixon. This meant that the third party candidacy of Wallace could split the vote and cost Nixon the election. So Richard thought up a new strategy one that's destroying our country to this very day. That was the Northern strategy? Exactly. His strategy in 68 was courting the middle. His campaign relied on being racist and conservative enough to shave some of the Nazis off the Wallace vote, (laughs) but not so overtly racist that he couldn't also take some of the right-leaning supporters of Humphrey. This strategy was a winner, but... Not by a comfortable amount. Nixon won by less than 1% of the popular vote. He was scared about what could be coming in the next election because Wallace carried 13% of the country. The old-timey racist vote. (laughs) Still the same vote. Yeah, still the exact... Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. you can still... 13% of the country, still the exact same people. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's just kind of (laughs) a generation or two removed. Yeah, Yeah. They all have like truck nuts now instead of whatever the they fuck they had in the sixties. They've got like the big AR fifteen decals <laughs> on said trucks. Yeah. Yep. Punisher logos with Trump hair. Punisher logos <laughs> with Trump hair. So Richard Nixon broke down this election and learned many things from many things from Wallace about how to court weird racists. But the thing I really want to focus on is that Wallace was one of the first national candidates to effectively use country as a political prop. Okay. For almost all of his time in politics, being from Alabama, he had used country music to promote his campaign. He had a country band that toured with him to his rallies. Wow. Fancy. What was the name of the band? I did not put it in my script just because it's cursed. George George (laughs) Wallace's... Georgie boy Wallace. George family. and the Wallaces. Yeah. George, George, and the Wallace. George and the Wallaces would be George great. George and the Wallaces. Yep. Yep. Oh, that, we should start a band called George and the Wallaces. <laughs> <laughs> be a big hit. Yeah, huge. I could, People I could love play my guitar that years ago. doesn't have a high E string, and yep. I don't have an amp for it. And then I <laughs> and think... And I can screech atonally. All right, good. Perfect. So, Rachel, you're on Perfect. drums. Okay, I can do that. All right, yeah, cool. <laughs> we got a good punk band here. <laughs> um, he was Wallace was also friends with many of the Grand Ole Opry's biggest performers and got them to campaign for him when he was governor. Mm-hmm. The best known person who did this was Tammy Wynette. Uh, yeah. Don't listen to her music. Don't. Yeah, I don't she know who she is. Sucks. I, this is what I'm reminded. Like, not everyone has the same insight into the stuff as I did. I grew up around Nashville. Oh, true, yeah. right? Because, like, yeah, not everyone. It was. It's like one of those things that's in the air. Like, I don't think I've ever listened to a Tommy, Tammy Wynette song, but I know who she is or was. Mm-hmm. This is one of those things. Yeah, you go, you go down Broadway in Nashville, and you see there was a ah, which, 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 uh, which friggin thing was it it was one of the little bars that had a bunch of like the old opry stars just horribly painted on a mural <laughs> just with no skill weird tourist trap it would not nah, i mean it was one of those things that was a uh like a, an institution oh god oh. um 
Yeah, I I I don't remember which one it was, but yeah. Yeah. For the 1968 election, Wallace even pressed a country album with George Wallace-themed country music. Don't listen to it. It's not. It's terrifying. Um, Country music was so vital to his campaign that according to NPR, Wallace once told an aide, quote, the people who like country music are going to elect me president, unquote. Well, it's a little, I mean, it's a little scary because it's true. Yeah. Aaron is still stuck on this bar. <laughs> I am, I am. And I'm also completely blanking on what these bars were called. <laughs> There's a word for them. Like honky tonks? Honky tonks. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> we're revoking your Tennessee that, birth please, certificate. Please, it's not, well, I don't have one, so sure, go uh, ahead. Oh, yeah, you were born <laughs> in a different state. Born in a different state. Different yeah. quality state. Different quality state with no notes, honky tonks. Yeah, it was one of the honky tonks. Sorry, I uh missed what you said, but I'm sure it was fine. Yeah, George Wallace, country music, big fan. Um, yeah, by which I mean, I'm paying perfect attention. We are a professional podcast, we are professionals. We're not googling Nashville bars in the middle of an episode. (laughs) No, what are we? There's your problem. I do love that those guys will just in the middle of an episode be like, I'm going to the bathroom. Yeah, that's it's that's some chutzpah. I mean, yep. yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. Country music, man. Country music. Yep. So Wallace's political charm was definitely due to the feel that like his rallies were like a down home, like country concert. And, just like, passing around those vibe. big jugs with like yeah. X, 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 X marks. On them. Yeah. I mean, everyone's I that's like everyone's in all good community, you know? Yeah. yeah. And they oh, yeah, them. man, you just bring your, you know, you good old boys over, we'll have ourselves a time. Yep. <laughs> and this, like, got people to support Wallace because they went and listened to him and their favorite musicians liked Wallace. It's like a tried and true formula. We 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 talked a bit about um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou last episode. And it's it's very much like that. You have, like, the the dudes on the pickup truck blaring country music and also shouting vote wallace at the same time exactly like that yeah this led to the greatest part of the 1968 election that nobody talks about the country music arms race (laughs) 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 to counter wallace's folksy charm nixon spent a lot of time courting country music stars to campaign for him I can only imagine how that conversation went. Yeah. <laughs> I really appreciate what it is that you hillbillies do here. <laughs> yeah. I gotta tell you, I have had so many blockout nights on that moonshine. Oh, we lost his shot. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Sure was oh, yeah. As Richard Nixon's California ass tried to relate to people from the South. <laughs> so tell me, how many teeth do you still have? <laughs> He's from California, right? Yeah. Born in California. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So they're both like constantly trying to pull in more country music stars to like seem more folksy. Um, in the end, Wallace edges Nixon on the country music vote because Wallace is like actually from the South. That makes sense. And (laughs) did have a kind of folksy charm despite being a racist. It's like, um, the whole Dr. Oz and John Fetterman. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
Richard Nixon couldn't keep stop saying shit like crudite. <laughs> 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 Whereas Waller, Wallace just looms in the background in shorts and hoodie. <laughs> yeah. I do love yeah. the John Fetterman dressed like a father for that whole race. Mm-hmm. Like just the embodiment of a father. <laughs> <laughs> With a constant scowl. Yeah. Much like all fathers. Yeah. I was going to say, much like all people from Pennsylvania. That's fair. It's also all, fathers. Yeah. This is a firmly anti Pennsylvania podcast. That may change. No, you're not gonna move to <laughs> Philadelphia, Aaron. Don't do it. What are you gonna do? Go fucking see an Eagles game? <laughs> Eat well, a sandwich that's nine thousand calories. God, I, I <laughs> no. love those things. Those are delicious. No. Yes. What I <laughs> fucking cheese whiz and brisket. No, it's so good. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, brisket is the best. And, uh, you know, with the cheese whiz, that just means that you're not going to eat for a couple of days afterwards. So it's great. It's a combination of white trash and Jewish that I can't get on board with. <laughs> that's, you know, that's my pedigree. <laughs> so it's you just were a born to eat Philly cheese steaks. <laughs> born to eat Philly cheese steaks. <laughs> Ooh, alrighty then. <laughs> so, um... Wallace edges out Nixon in the folksy charm race, but he's just like too much of a racist for 1960s America somehow. <laughs> I I did you get quotes from Wallace? I like I don't have a lot of first like primary sources for Wallace. A lot of it is just like tangential stuff like Neil Young or what Wallace's have you. Wallace's most favorite quote is segregation now, segregation forever. Yep, that's a good yep. one. That's uh that's a that's one you put on a banner. Yep, that's what he did. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So even though he won, Nixon never forgot about this race. Which brings <laughs> Wait, us hold on. Are you trying to say that Richard Nixon held grudges? Absolutely. I'm shocked. <laughs> No. Even the man against... who opened China? <gasps> he founded the EPA. <laughs> yeah, he was a great president. Yep. I've done a lot for this country. Anyone who ever says that EPA shit to me gets a swift block, even if it's in real life, I will just walk away. <laughs> <laughs> um, you just go, no, and then yeah, walk away. Exactly. Yeah. I just boop them on the nose like I'm hitting the block button. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So this brings us to 1972. There are so many things that I hate about this election, <laughs> but we are going to focus on country music. Give me the top five things that you hate about this election. Um, for one of the things we wouldn't be focusing on is the fact that Nixon's re-election campaign was named Creek. <laughs> That's right. I forgot it was. Why, why again? I remember you're learning about that, but why? Do you know? Um, no. fuck, what does it stand for? It's oh, an acronym. Uh, uh, I'm going to look it up. Hold re- on. Committee for the Re-Election of the President. Creep. Yeah. Oh, God. That's it. <laughs> well, we're calling it creep. Yeah. We, we, we creep our way into the hearts of America. I mean, there were like PR agencies around by then, right? Like They were all drunk. They didn't have any. Yeah, they were all drunk. Yeah, they were all drunk. That makes sense. Yeah. It was just Don Draper beating his wife. <laughs> 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 
Oh, you mean the embodiment of cool uh, and like the model for all a manosphere, which is really a complimentary term. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that Watergate happened during this election. That's yeah. two. Yeah. I yeah. hate that the Democrats intentionally fucking kneecap their own candidate for being too progressive because he proposed universal basic income. Well, luckily, that's never happened since then. Not a single fucking time. <laughs> and will never happen again because they've learned their lesson because of this this election. Yep. Yep. I hated that a Kennedy would have won the Democratic nomination if he had run. Now, um, that one won't happen again. So we're, you're shout in the out game. to <laughs> the only living Kennedy in politics being frog fucking calls insane. <laughs> Dude is cracked. Um. And my least favorite thing is that Richard Nixon sabotaged the Democratic frontrunner during the primary by creating a fake letter where he used the word Canuck, which is apparently a slur for French Canadian people. Wait, is it? Do they actually think that's a slur? Apparently they did then, because Richard Nixon cut the knees out of the Democratic frontrunner by creating a fake letter where he was too racist to white people. Richard Nixon said the other guy was a racist. <laughs> well, the thing that you have to understand is that it is perfectly fine to be a, a racist if it's about people who are not like you. But if it's about worrying people, that crosses the line. Fucking insane that that happened. How is well, that possible? <laughs> too racist. The French Canadians. The French are basically Italian, shark. <laughs> so he got away with it? Yeah. I feel like an idiot because I don't know about this, but. Yeah, he created a fake letter and he got away with it. Jesus, okay. Yeah. Dude just couldn't stop Watergate and always be Watergate. That was his, <laughs> that was his fucking motto. <laughs> it's astounding. The, I think like my first introduction to, to Nixon was that, um, that Frost Nixon movie that came out in like, I don't know, 2003 or something like that. And it just seemed a little too unhinged to be believed. And was... then you realized <laughs> that it was downplaying. How yeah, crazy incredibly downplayed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you, if there's, I don't love all of Hunter S. Thompson, but he has a collection of essays called fear and loathing yeah. on the campaign trail 72, which is incredible. It's just a man who, could not hate Richard Nixon more. Just spending all of his time around Richard Nixon. <laughs> and it's awesome. I've read bits of that. I need to read the whole thing. It's really good. It's a peak Hunter S. Thompson. Just fucking railing amphetamines and bullying <laughs> Richard Nixon. <laughs> which are the only two things I do. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. You find Richard Nixon's grave and travel there every couple of months just to shout at it. <laughs> To cut up a huge line of Adderall on his headstone <laughs> and then be mean to him. <laughs> Sounds very like therapeutic, actually. Yeah, yeah you know, I think I might start. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um to understand the impact of country music on this race, we have to understand Nixon's campaign strategy in 72. The Southern strategy was pioneered in this year. The entire basis of Nixon's campaign is best summarized by Jesse Montgomery in a doctoral thesis that he wrote, quote, 
The approach they devised was to mount a cultural campaign. Rather than make commitments to the material betterment of the working class, the administration would pursue a politics of recognition and celebrate the worker as an ideal. This appeal to the allegedly moral superior backbone and patriotic rectitude of the American worker, always defined against the non-productive protesters and freeloaders of the left, led Nixon, as it had Wallace, to country music. I counted four distinct head shakes from Rachel during that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's the generation of all right wing identity politics. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. Era. That yeah. was Nixon's whole idea for the seventy two election was to create culture war bullshit, yeah. and he fucking did it. It's what we're living in today is Richard <laughs> Nixon's world. The hippies are out there to destroy all of America. Yeah, it's like he fucking like everything we're suffering now was Richard Nixon's campaign strategy in 1972, and we've never recovered. Nope. That's just so wild. Yeah. It, it's been happening since then. Yeah. And nothing has changed. No, not a thing. We, we are, I, you know, this is at the core of every human art. <laughs> Are, are three apes and they're all tearing each other's faces off yeah oh That's... i always think of little spongebobs with the fire going on and he's like running around his file cabinets um, and it's just like chaos no yeah. it's much more gruesome than that it's chimpanzees <laughs> ripping each other's faces off <laughs> at the drop of a hat it's <laughs> that is humanity <clears throat> and so it was like this culture war strategy combined with olympic level dick stepping by the democrats the, <laughs> the, the heavyweight champions of stepping on your own dick, the Democratic Party, um, which allowed Nixon to permanently landscape the battleground of American politics to no longer be about policy choices, but instead <laughs> culture war bullshit. That makes even more sense, too, about the Democrats. Like, yeah, yeah. if they would have had just, like, combat that, yeah. the first first yeah. sign, maybe yeah. we'd be living in a very different I, world. Why would you do that, though? Yeah. That seemed, well, I think like you, the Democrats of this era were also in a like a super fucking weird position because you still had the Dixiecrats who were still firmly embedded. I mean, George Wallace was a Democrat. Yeah, exactly. So you have I I I, I am not a uh, by I don't think I've read a single goddamn book about this era. Uh, <laughs> I've read a couple of articles and a lot of my Nixon knowledge comes from Futurama. <laughs> so, i'm an idiot they pretty much nail him though <laughs> yeah but like you to it it's a weird fucking position to be in and i'm not saying that anything the democrats did was smart but i don't know how you fucking juggle that if you want to like be the same party as you were at the start of the race i mean the answer is don't and don't embrace the giant racists of course that's the answer but that's not what they did and I don't know. I'm just I'm going into a weird fugue state right now where I'm thinking like Aaron Sorkin and I need to snap out of this. <laughs> As your name slowly morphs on the screen. <laughs> Did you know that uh, Jordan Peele got Bradley Whitford to be in um, Get Out specifically so he could deliver the I would have voted for Obama a third time line? <laughs> Really? Just because yeah, he fucking and, played Josh Lyman? Yeah, and he did not get the joke. 
Bradley Whitford didn't? He did not get the joke. He thought, like, he didn't understand why it was a joke, and he thought it was, like, a legitimately positive thing about this character. Oh, no, that's so, so fucking West Wing. Perfect casting from Jordan Beale. Jesus Christ, Bradley, <laughs> I like you so much. Why do you like this? I don't like that at all. You're welcome. I don't like that at all. It's, um, it's on the it's on the sight and sound ballot now in top uh, top one hundreds movies of all time. Get out. That's nice. Yeah. What's the IMDb ranking? The only true. Don't, ranking. don't you fucking bring that up again. <laughs> My God, you want me to have another just on mic meltdown? Because it because it passed Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing can pass Transformers except for Transformers: Rise of the Fallen. God, the fact that you know the colon title. <laughs> there is a, a, a very good friend of mine years ago um thought that that would be a good movie to go see as a group and yeah it was like not if you're that. a part of that group yeah and we were like we can't do this he goes but it's gonna be bad i was like i'm not suffering i'm not paying 18 dollars to go see, to go that see movie. a michael bay movie yeah <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah yeah so much like Michael Bay, uh, the evil that is Richard Nixon's Southern strategy had been going on for years by the time I can't, this doesn't track. Uh, Nixon started using the Southern strategy and creating it early in his time as president after 68. Um, and one of the big ways he did this was starting to court the country music using the full power of the federal government. <laughs> Explain. In the years leading up to the 72 election, he would pander to country stars and country music listeners by doing things that had never been done before for the genre, like inviting Merle Haggard and Johnny Cash to play at the White House. (laughs) (laughs) Seems like an easy but small step, sure. Corruption was a lot cheaper back then. It really was. These concerts were never apolitical. Like, if you watch the Merle Haggard one, Merle Haggard is like, fucking creaming himself at the fact that he gets to do patriot porn at the white house (laughs) but because johnny cash while being a complicated man was not a hack when nixon invited him to the white house he asked him to play the song welfare cadillac which is a ballad about how poor people cheat the system and johnny cash was like fuck you man (laughs) solid yeah which we'll take. Instead, he played the song What is Truth and asked Nixon to end the Vietnam War. Shout out to Johnny Cash. Yeah. Again, yeah. complicated yeah. man. Based. Nixon also named October Country Music Month, in case you, <laughs> you observe. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brett, wait, Breast Cancer Awareness Month came after that. So they're second, right? Yep. October is the original. Country music. Country music month. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is why every October you see people putting up their country music decorations. Big fucking inflatable (laughs) Kenny Chesney's on everyone's lawn. (laughs) (laughs) If you spring for the whole like the the Leonard Skinner set is expensive, but (laughs) damn if it isn't worth it. All every light is Leonard Skinner, and they all play "Sweet Home Alabama" when you turn them up. Just incessantly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
Richard Nixon even showed up and played piano at the Grand Ole Opry. <laughs> which is fucking terrible. I did not know that. Yeah. What did he play? Do you have I have no idea. But I, there's a I, picture of him playing piano. Do you know have you seen you've seen Tombstone, right? Yeah. Okay. Rachel, have you seen Tombstone? Of oh my not, god. No. All right. Why did why weren't we watching movies when you were over? So we're eating a, there, well, yeah, but we could have been watching Tombstone <laughs> and and eating a lot. There was a there's a scene in Tombstone where Doc Holliday is just smashed and he's playing um Chopin and this one of the, the gang members comes over. He's like, Is that Stephen Foster? And <laughs> Holiday responds, No, it's Frederick fucking Chopin, and it starts a fight, and it's great. Tombstone is a fantastic yeah. movie. I assume whatever song Richard Nixon played had Kike in the title. <laughs> oh, so it was a Wagner piece. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so Nixon... <laughs> I am going to play you a song about the superiority of the white race. <laughs> yeah. Well, he played all of the ring cycle. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So he spent tons of time, effort, and resources <sighs> cultivating this mutually beneficial relationship with country musicians and the genre's power brokers, and did this to a degree of success that caused the head of the Country Music Association to say that country music is the voice of Nixon's silent majority. <laughs> Which he said when handing Nixon a personal record pressed by the CMA, that has never been published. It was only for Nixon. Every day I went to um, work when I was in Nashville, I walked by the CMA headquarters. Yeah. Downtown. Yeah. Big Nixon fans. Big Nixon fans. Yep. Oh, yep. Yep. Very sad fact. <laughs> um, and that recording was, of course, or that, that record was, of course, a recording of Nixon playing the ring cycle. Yeah. 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 With Merle Haggard's Okie from Muskogee as all of the lyrics to the running yeah, cycle. Exactly. Um, yeah. So this was genius on Nixon's part. He was able to get the country music vote, and he was also able to forever tie the genre of country to the image of a straight white Republican Southern man. He like made country music into culture war bullshit. He leveraged the white middle class's fear of change about, you know, the gays and the blacks and everyone who isn't a white man from Alabama getting basic human decency in the 60s and 70s to just like totally remove any creativity from the genre if you wanted to be commercially successful. You had to be Nixon approved if you wanted to make it big time. Trying to, I mean, you hope you're trying to tell me. That Kinky Friedman and the Texas Jew Boys were yeah. not a critically and commercially acclaimed band. Famed platinum artists. Yeah. <laughs> With their oh. pro-choice songs. Yeah. Songs about beating up racists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just the idea of using government resources to bridle America's most popular music genre to the Republican Party is nuts to me and it worked and i hate it yeah you know you you just you 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 sink your meat hooks 
and the populism and you just claw it over and yep. uh it's that's uh you make it explicitly political and then people latch yep yep yeah so this is not a new move on the right wing they love to combine art and identity for instance wagner's desire to make music for the volk or the idea of only white people making country music or the idea of degenerate art being made by degenerate people is just a classic fucking move. And you're talking about uh, crypto bros there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> NFTs are objectively yeah. degenerate art. Um, <laughs> I'm only a crypto Nazi. <laughs> Anyone who does crypto gets the wall. <laughs> <laughs> And to create this like idea of degenerate art, you also have to construct a good art, quote, scare quote, good art. And degenerate art being tied to an identity is the same as good art being tied to an identity. So what Nixon effectively did was make like rock and roll degenerate hippie music, jazz degenerate black people music. If you're a real God-loving American, you make and listen to country. We should be afraid of these feedback loops where government promotes art, promotes government, promotes art, like Richard Nixon did with country. This is not a system of honest artistic expression. It's a power grab by elites whose goal is to control the populace. I mean, you say that now, but in my glorious regime, when black metal is the music <laughs> of the populace, your tune will change. Aaron's glorious regime where it's all black metal and klezmer. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Klezmer is for festival days. Yeah. <laughs> black metal's for relaxing at home. Yes. <laughs> Wait, can I ask a maybe dumb question? Um, what were, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, but like, what were the people around Nixon listening to? Would that have been country or would that have been like something else and they just are not included in that i'm sure like, fucking no you know one what at I the mean? white house listened to country music yeah, I, I i get the impression that a lot of these people just listen to static yes. <laughs> <laughs> like i don't think I, like i can see that like kissinger listening to classical but not because he gets anything out of it but because that's where people who make a lot of or have a lot of power go yeah I think Henry Kissinger just listened to a recording of Vietnamese children screaming for help <laughs> to unwind at the end of a long day. Yeah. He just listened to the destruction of Cambodia. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what they listened to, but I'm fucking sure it wasn't country music. Yeah. That's yeah. that's never the way it works. And I mean, unless you are like George W. Bush, I think he is the only yeah. person who legitimately Maybe. listened to, to country. Yeah. And that's because he really should have just been the commissioner of baseball. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, he would have been a great commissioner of baseball. Yeah, he got turned down for that job. and then <laughs> Did he really? Yeah, he was like the owner of the Rangers and was gunning for commissioner. Wow. And, and that didn't work out when it just, yeah. What a different world that would have been. I know. Missed yeah. opportunities. Yeah. Fuck. That's just that's the, the Hitler artist moment. If <laughs> <laughs> he had just stuck with like owner of rank of the Rangers and gone down that route instead of uh <laughs> destroying vast swaths of Iraq and the Middle East in general. Oh uh, yep. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, that's a good question, Rachel. I don't, I don't know if they're. Yeah, well, because like, like you know what I'm. Right yeah, like that. I. Yeah, I don't know how to really articulate anymore, but it's just. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to get everyone else to listen to this stuff, but then it's like, okay, well, what are you listening to? Probably the stuff they're telling people not to listen to, and just. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't think that's. My read on Nixon is that he wouldn't have been listening to jazz or rock and roll because he probably would have hated both of them. I think like maybe if it was like Dave Brubeck and Take Five, the thing that I was playing the other night where it's just kind of like light piano, not very mm-hmm. challenging. Mm-hmm. That would probably be the most extent of jazz that he would get into. I don't think he was jamming to John Coltrane. miles davis fuck so i want to get i want to get richard nixon's views on sun (laughs) raw sun raw is this uh thank you (laughs) yeah uh big funk band or group i don't know if band is the right word like a big well the sun raw and the orchestra so collective yeah yeah it's a big collective very like trippy vibes everywhere plays uh, the hollywood ever do they really yeah like uh next time they roll through and redact it i'll send you a link and yeah it's not i mean as far as these concerts go it's not too bad like price wise okay yeah but uh anyway yeah nixon watching that would be a joy to see absolutely (laughs) oh yeah like sunrod does but like still does uh started off doing a bunch of like afrofuturist stuff like very black forward mm. pan-african movement very cool yeah yeah so uh richard nixon created the oh, culture yeah. war and <laughs> made country music part of it um Yay. yeah so that's the end of the nixon segment any other final thoughts about our friend richard millhouse nixon friend of the pod tricky dick, tricky dick. love him hate him like what he did Big fan of his work as a racist. There was a a comic that ran for most of the Bush administration and into the Obama administration called The Pain. And in the darkest days of the Bush administration, the artist drew himself on a beach looking out at the horizon with Nixon to his left. And they were both staring out at the sunset. And like I forget what the exact words were, but it was basically like, "Well, Dick, you finally they they finally overtaken you." And since they oh, was finally like, "Shut yeah. up, bitches!" But- <laughs> no, it's just every time you know we start talking about something that's really shitty about this country, it always <laughs> in that. Did I just turn off my mic? Okay, all right. God damn it, go back. It always just <laughs> yeah. Every time we talk about something like how country music is now ingrained in the right wing um it always goes back to nixon like everything always just there's a road like nixon and reagan are the two champions of generating everything that's horrible about this country yeah yeah. oh shit it was sorry earlier when i mentioned the astrology that was reagan wasn't it it's okay but (laughs) reagan was just likable nixon (laughs) yeah basically they're both from california yeah they both were like incoherent for various reasons for most <laughs> yeah. of their presidency. Yeah, I, I, I've one, one. So when I was, uh, when I, 
what I, I was going to say when I was younger, which is technically true, but not me and not the connotation. Um, so a few years ago, I used to do these like movie nights uh, with a friend of mine and we called them film school. And we would choose a stupid theme and choose a good movie to show and then a bad movie uh, because over the course of the good movie, people will get very drunk and then you don't pay attention to the bad movie. So like a good film school thing would be like the movies of of uh, Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Yeah. Holy <laughs> shit. They are all bad, though. I'm sure. I mean, they were all like he was. It was like primarily westerns, right? Like the 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 truly shitty westerns. Yeah. Uh, but like, what 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 did Nixon do before he was in politics? I can't. I just imagine that Nixon always did politics. I think. Remember, he's got to be a guy who was always like in the Young Republicans. Yeah, I know he was in the Navy for a while. He was in the Navy. That's right. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. And but he yeah. was an attorney. So I assume he was like one of these okay. scum sucking fucking law school straight to the military, straight to politics guys. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah representative and a senator. Those are that. always just the worst fucking reptiles who are going into law school wanting to be in Congress. Yeah. It's, it's the same kind of breed as like so many. <laughs> so many. Ooh, yeah, Need just to- all bastards. Yeah, just excise this genome of the country in a non-actionable sense. <laughs> non-actionable eugenics. Yes, non-actionable, yeah. not advocating eugenics. Yeah. In the event that my mother ever finds this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> not advocating that. <laughs> Barry is, though, that's what yeah. you just Barry's very pro. Barry's very pro-eugenics. Mm-hmm. So now that we've discussed Richard Nixon, we get to discuss a much more subtle thing that happened. It's 9 11! Hey! Aaron, do the 9 11 air horn. We're excited for 9 11. <laughs> Yay, 9 11! All right. <laughs> okay. What's that? Oh, I'm getting, I'm getting word that a second 9 11 has been <laughs> cited. Because we because we forgot the first one. We forgot the, the, the first one. Yeah, I forgot yeah. the first 9-11 at home, and I'll need to get a new 9-11 at the store on the way to the party. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is the part of every pod where we talk about how 9-11 made boomers lose their little lead-poisoned minds. <laughs> um, yeah. Really, all you can just tie it all back to like taking Ronald lead Reagan, out of Richard gasoline. Nixon, and nine yeah. eleven, and leaded gasoline. Yeah, taking the lead out of gasoline may be the only thing that saves the world. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, nine eleven was when the CIA and the Mossad filled the World Trade Center <laughs> with thermite <laughs> in order to justify a war that would slake our lizard overlords' unstoppable hunger for Middle Eastern. <laughs> Un- unceasing amounts of hummus yeah falafel yeah it's not actually adrenochrome they thrive no. on chickpeas <laughs> <laughs> uh, the amount of times I was told that no Jews died in 9-11 was uh... <laughs> holy shit fucking crazy <laughs> my parents-in-law's neighbor is a Jew and says that what? <laughs> I don't know 
I don't know, man. Fucking hell. It's not a great choice on his part. You, you get some people who, re- I mean, it's, again, humans are humans. You gotta, oh, that's so stupid, though. He's a naturopath's opinions. Oh, well, insanity. <laughs> um, I've got a couple of cutters who complain about our, about our health care, not because of, you know, the fact that we still because of all the problems. Yeah, not because of all of those limbs, but because they're naturopath covered. All righty, then. Hey, we're talking about uh, naturopaths. Yeah. Oh, um, Sorry. Yeah, the only thing worse than... um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, so that wasn't what happened on 9-11, but um, it's lame what actually happened, and Fox Mulder would never have worked on that case. So (laughs) (laughs) No, he would have been investigating, like, in West Virginia, but uh, Mothman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the Wizards, Mossad, Hummus, 9-11 is the one I prefer to go with. Yeah. Because Fox Mulder would have done that one. Yeah. Um, the planes were as, Scully, the planes were a series of Mothmans <laughs> all chained together. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> oh. Yep. So we're talking about 9-11 because it allowed the assholes and the Bush administration to accomplish the mission that Richard Milhouse Nixon had begun all those years ago. Full government control of culture. Yeah, basically. This has been a bucket list item for the U.S. government since its founding. (laughs) Feel free to check out Operation Mockingbird, Operation Earnest Voice, or the Pentagon's Film Department for more information. You're just chucking these things at us. Explain. Give, give, this is like, this is like people, Rachel, who in meetings (laughs) would just start vomiting acronyms and never yep. explain any of them exactly it's the not, worst kind of people it's not yep, my fault kidding. you're sheeple <laughs> <laughs> listener you can't see it but shark is in a cement basement yeah. with no decoration uh there appears to be what is a faraday cage but <laughs> yeah. only around the headphones yeah exactly oh <laughs> uh, yeah uh operation mockingbird was a, a u.s intelligence apparatus program to influence journalism in the united states it had lots of big name journalists as a part of the payroll of the intelligence apparatus <laughs> boring what's the next one <laughs> Operation Earnest Voice was an attempt to influence Middle Eastern politics by completely overwhelming the internet infrastructure of the Middle East with bullshit pro-America opinions. Hey, that's familiar. Yeah! <laughs> They're doing it here farm. now! <laughs> I'm sure what we did in the early 2000s will never come back to bite us, ever. <laughs> there are never feedback loops created by our own petards. Don't look up the words Foucault or Boomerang. Um, Foucault's Boomerang is the idea that the colonially oppressive tactics you use in your colonies eventually will come back to be used on your own populace. Okay. Thank you for explaining it to us, smooth-brained. I'm I'm explaining (laughs) weird leftist jargon in my explanation of other weird leftist jargon. Yeah, I'm sure that's that's further down on my stack underneath... uh, Looks at yeah, no, it's it's the new uh, new translation of Herodotus's histories. That's far, very far down, so yeah. I'll get there eventually. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm 
desperately trying not to ask you about who translated it because no, no you already know we, we've talked about it oh have we yeah it's not it's, a new new version it's no it is it's um it's the the thing ah, compelling radio uh it is translated by tom holland it's the new mm. penguin thing i'm guessing not the actor not i'd be really man. impressed with the actor <laughs> yeah hey you never know but this one is supposed to be good i mm. i think i heard that penguin classics often has good yeah uh and the pentagon's film department is the thing that made all of the movies that have tom holland in them <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah you gotta mm. love all of that the, those handshake agreements between mm. studios Bay, and the pentagon to yeah any movie with any piece of military equipment or any cop movie was made yep. in partnership with the U.S. government. You might point out that that's all of the movies. That, that's, but, one um, of the, that's one of the I things that, that really that. cheesed me off about the new Batman uh, movie is like there's a scene after everything happens and Batman is doing a really half-assed job of rescuing people. <laughs> And just basically goes like, no, I can't do it. You better help that strong National Guard man. And uh, it like cuts to these like guardsmen framed against the backdrop of a setting sun while Gotham's like partly underwater. It's like, that's not, you know, it's good that when there's like disaster relief, but also it's just like, come on, you're doing this in a fucking Batman movie. That's how you yeah. get $25 million from the Pentagon. Yeah, yeah I, no, I know. But I watched it on the plane. And I was yeah. there. Well, originally there was a more realistic scene where after Batman says that, they cut to all the National Guardsmen shooting people for taking food from supermarkets. <laughs> but they didn't make the final cut for some yep. reason. Yep. <laughs> I think that's in one of the Batman movies. It's like, there's looting on that street. <laughs> like fucking lootly. Of course it is. Yep. <laughs> oh, yep. Um, yeah, so all those things are bad. Um but there was no single moment that helped the government control culture like 9-11. As we discussed earlier, the more overt part of this is hundreds of truly horrible songs that give Aaron war flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where were you? Yep. Freedom but, don't isn't free call. But, but, but instead of me just reading the lyrics to Alan Jackson songs until we all go insane. <laughs> um, <laughs> We have to talk about the more subtle thing that happened on 9-11, which is the fact that we destroyed one of America's greatest musical acts, the Dixie Chicks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which was the true tragedy of 9-11. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a... I think we talked about it during that episode, but it was like they were very, like, hands-off in the, in the, the criticism of everything yeah. like Sinead O'Connor did a bigger thing of ripping up the post the, the Pope's headshot on SNL and yeah. the Dixie Chits were like yeah fuck Bush and yeah. careers ended the only people who have ever been canceled truly by all of America were the Dixie Chicks yeah that's so that's a good point yep <laughs> yep. yep yeah no yep. it's it sucks like I would I didn't listen to them but but they were I mean, like one of, oh go ahead rachel no you go ahead now oh, you yeah you <laughs> okay well i was just gonna it like there's a country artist right now named morgan wallen who is getting more and more popular and like he was essentially 
you know, he was called out last year for saying the N-word and there's a whole bunch of like negative press around him. He ended up like apologizing, but his record label dropped him and like a few people like dropped, like stopped working with him. But he again, he's like, he just won an award recently and he's starting to get more popular again and like recover from that. And I feel like the Dixie Chicks are, like you said, really the only people that haven't recovered from a a backlash uh, against, you know, from the from the community. Yeah, they're like, I don't know if they record individually anymore, but they still tour and stuff, but they never like were at their height again. I mean, they won another Grammy after, but they never like at the time before this happened, they were the number one selling female band of all time. Yeah. They were like the band that laid the groundwork for like the Taylor Swift type pop country sort of mm. like thing. I did does did Taylor Swift ever really qualify as country? Yeah, her yeah, very beginning. Okay. All right. I, yeah. I'm asking out of ignorance. I don't know. Yeah. Which yeah, she's kind of I'm yeah, sure she's changed all. over the years. I feel De- like definitely pop country, but country. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so to get into the like exact specifics of what happened here, oh yeah, it Go was ahead. during a concert in two in two thousand three when Bush was just about to launch the Iraq War when Natalie Maines, a member of the band, said that the Dixie Chicks were ashamed that the president of the United States was from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were there during the yeah. concert. Uh, this they said this during the introduction to the song "Traveling Soldier," which is objectively patriotism porn about how good American <laughs> veterans are, which is what makes this even more insane. Yeah, yeah, it's about how good a Vietnam veteran is. Which, spoiler, he was not. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's like a patriotic song. So frustrating. Um, Just yeah. Like- can't have any criticism no so the song was patriotic they apologized multiple times and clarified that they loved the u.s military and the people in it and they still fucking got canceled it was truly insane yeah <laughs> like, like some examples of what happened is a radio station in colorado suspended two of its djs for playing the dixie chicks wow Jim Jacobs, the president of a major broadcast union, said that he received hundreds of maudlin calls from people with family and the armed forces, aghast that the Dixie Chicks didn't want their family members to go die in the deserts of Iraq. (laughs) An Atlanta radio station polled its listeners and 76% of them said they wished they could return their chick CDs. Oh my god! Have you ever you've have you seen Mars Attacks? Yeah, you know uh, Jack Black's family yeah. and that as they're like cleaning guns and like, that's that's everyone just yeah. so yeah, proud absolutely. of their boy <laughs> about absolutely. to fucking get disintegrated by an alien going. <laughs> it got so insane that George Bush responded to the Dixie Chicks. To one thing they said at a concert. He said something about how, like, it was their right as freedom-loving Americans and that, like, our brave men and women had died so they could shit-talk the president or some shit like that. George Bush shit. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) I read it and was like, I don't fucking care. (laughs) I'm sure with George Bush, it had, like, eight hanging 
yeah participles <laughs> and like some other fucking shit but <laughs> long periods of pauses while he yeah. gets distracted thinking about rabbit he saw earlier yeah something <laughs> shinies in the crowd yeah, yeah. like to- do you think that if he would have come back immediately and like i don't know how you respond to that in a neutral way but basically yeah like what you said he said just you know they have the right to express their thoughts whatever do you th- think if he did that immediately it would have changed anything i'm gonna go with no I think I, think, so I think the people who were already on that bandwagon were so profoundly broken by 9-11 that they yeah. carried it with them for two years and it just kept boiling. This is over. this was the thing that, and that it really, was, well yeah. it was just people were in a fucking fervor. Yeah. And and this this was where we like got to see the like culture war, like identity politics thing that Nixon had created become like an offensive weapon of war in a way that it hadn't quite been before mm-hmm. like richard nixon's ghost came hard and thick <laughs> in his pleated pants he could finally rest <laughs> i have achieved release yeah <laughs> And this is where we get into a weird thing I want to talk about, about all this. Aaron, could you please explain to the audience what a golem is? (laughs) I miss, okay. So the the golem. Not the one from Lord of the Rings. I I wanted to make sure. (laughs) The one from Prague. So the golem is in, um, it's kind of like a Jewish folklore and myth thing. Basically, you had the. Uh, Jewish population of Prague was confined in a ghetto and, you know, constant anti-Semitic attacks and everything. And there's a, a rabbi, Rabbi Lowe, who is a big, uh, renowned figure, like act- without outside of the story is like a big rabbinic source of, you know, Talmudic disputation and everything. But within the source is a Kabbalic uh, master, master of the Kabbalah, master of mysticism. So he forms a mound of clay, and on the mound of clay, he inscribes like the words. It's like, uh, what is it, Arim, something? And uh, from that word, uh, inscribes the inscribes these three letters on the go- on the golem's forehead, and inserts part of the Torah. I forget what specific it is, and then the golem comes to life. And it is tasked with being the protector of the ghetto of Prague. So mm-hmm. with each bout of violence done to the, the the ghetto, the golem grows in size and grows in violence and starts rampaging outside of the city and doing or outside of the ghetto and does a lot of destruction. And so the uh, the king calls for the rabbi and he pleads with him to stop. And vows that uh, the Jews will be given all rights, yada, yada, yada. So the rabbi wipes the letters from the golem's forehead. The golem crumbles, and it is sealed up in the Altnoy synagogue in Prague, where supposedly it stays to this. But um, from that story comes a lot of different other things, like Superman is a ver- is was inspired by the golem of Prague because the creators of Superman were a couple of nice Jewish boys and they wanted Whoa. a golem for all of humanity that would not spiral out of control and burn down the galaxy because that's Thanos. See, I do know what Marvel does. 
Uh, so that's that's the the golem story and uh, all nuance has been completely lost by nerd culture at large and now you have well the golem has 17 ac and he's only uh resistant to magic attacks and physical damage there is some some like tabletop system a friend of mine showed me that's got a dibbic in it and i was like oh that's cool that's that for for a lot of things that's a deep cut but it's it has nothing to do with with uh folklore it's just monster in a swamp yep. <laughs> not what dipics are but yep, you know yep. whatever anyway my favorite interpretation of the golem mythology is that it is the physical embodiment of the lang of the hebrew language and of jewish mm. art and culture that in yeah, some ways like will that. always like protect the Jewish people. That like Jewish culture is so um, important and relevant in the Western canon. That like in some sense, Jewish if not people, but ideas will always be hmm. protected. I like that. That's yeah. Right. Well, you, you're basically a Hasid. Yeah, it's a cool interpretation. <laughs> yeah. I There's, love that I, one. In 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 uh, the world's best book series, Dune, the last couple of books have space Jews. <laughs> Don't talk about the space <laughs> Jews. <laughs> uh, and there was some like discussion I saw on like a forum that was talking about how this was Frank Herbert trying to riff on that idea. Yeah. And like the whole golden bath of yeah. humanity being uh, scattered across the universes in order to protect all of humanity against something that could wipe them out all individually <laughs> was actually inspired by that kind of thing of huh. having a diaspora. Uh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Huh. That's pretty cool. I'm feeling very learned. Yeah. <laughs> you are all yeah. you are all wise and learned, but not as much as Reb Barry formerly. Reb Barry, yeah. <laughs> a wise and learned. Yeah. And this interpretation of the golem comes from Golem. The... <laughs> if we're going with Hebrew, it's Golem. Golem. Golem from... spelled differently <laughs> is this <laughs> comes from the idea of writing the letters on its forehead and inserting the Torah into it and it like coming to life by the genius yeah. of Jewish art and literature in a sense yeah. and that's a really cool interpretation I like it a lot and I think that there's it's a great analogy because I think what happens here is kind of a dark version of that I think that that <laughs> is I like that. what I was really Nixon... wondering where you're going to take this. Yeah, I, like so, yeah. I think yeah. that's what Nixon is trying to do. Country <laughs> music is the dark golem of America. <laughs> Richard Nixon found himself in the heartland of America. And one of those things where they make like one of those state fairs where they make sculptures out of butter and he walked up to the statue of someone and on it he wrote lyrics from Oki from Muskoki no, and inserted a no, pack of palm malls and we're, we're keeping to the, the letters saying he just quietly inscribed USA yeah. on, on the forehead of the statue of butter <laughs> And then inserted Henry OB, Kissinger's yeah. biography and they <laughs> sent it off to defend white The Jew boy came up with this idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that that's like such an interesting thing to think about that like Richard Nixon, to steal internet terminology, created a guy and then 
after he created that guy, he like loosed this guy, this like theoretical construct onto the world. And people started like becoming that guy yeah. in a very real way that I think like there are comparisons between like um, members of Nakam and mm. Golems and so Ra- like, Rachel, do yeah. you, have you listened to those episodes behind the bastards yet? Um, I think, uh, you know, what? I don't know. I okay. don't remember. So, so Nakam is, um, after, right after world war two, a bunch of partisans who had been fighting Nazis and were primarily made up of ho- Holocaust survivors got together in the ruins of Vilna, which was a city in Lithuania. And formed a group that would only be formed of Holocaust survivors and who had killed Nazis before. So they had the plan to enact revenge and they were going to uh, poison six million Germans. Yes. Okay. I did listen to this episode. It was fucking nuts. Okay. No, yeah, it was good. I was, I was very surprised. I I was uh, messaging Shark about it and I was like, I was like sitting there grinding my teeth. I'm like, is Robert going to goisplain this this weird thing in a very insensitive crack.com way? But no, they did a good That's job. That's okay, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, was, I, I was like, yeah, I should stop being Twitter-brained when it's not necessary. <laughs> but and yeah, I, so like the, basically the plan, for those of you who don't know, um, the guy who runs this group, Abba Kovner, uh, doesn't succeed because the uh there's a great song by a, a band called daniel khan and the painted bird great that, song yeah that do a song called nakam six million germans mm-hmm. and this is how i learned about it and read a couple books afterward really really cool life that this guy led uh and i'm not saying that as good it's just a cool life so uh the plan fucked up because he was a he approached the predecessor of nakam uh sorry of the Mossad. And was trying to get them to buy in to the plan and route poison and like resources to Nakam in Europe. This group was trying to be on the good side of uh, Britain, who was in control of the Palestinian mandate, and figured that if a bunch of if six million Germans wound up dead because of poison that could be tra- traced back to their group, that would be bad. So they turned Kovner in. Kovner went into jail. The other members of Nakam back in Germany did some light poisoning of SS guards who were in prison. Uh, may or may not have killed anyone, may or may not have done anything. But uh, after that, Kovner uh, took the wrong lessons from all of this and wound up training the IDF to kill Arabs very successfully. <laughs> and a bunch of people from uh, Nakam either joined him or... Uh, went into a bunch of kibbutzes all around uh, Israel and took the better of the lesson, which is you should communally make a better life for people. Yeah. But Kovner did not really do that, but he did keep uh, yeah. writing poetry, which is that's about it. Yeah. yeah, and I think there's a way in which whether you're talking about like um, Ava Kovner or Simon Rosenthal, the famous Nazi hunter. Mm-hmm. Or Vitold Pilecki, who's another really cool... I don't know that guy. Oh, Vitold Pilecki, the Auschwitz volunteer. He voluntarily went to Auschwitz to talk about what was happening there and escaped. Oh, yeah, I have heard about that guy. He went from Auschwitz to fighting in the Warsaw Ghetto. 
That's wow. a guy that they should have done an episode he on. Was, he was not Jewish. No. Yeah, oh, that's he yeah. He was, was uh, like fucking yeah. crazy. Yeah. And no, he, I remember, and he yeah. escaped a couple of times, right? Yeah. And yeah. he, in fact, was killing members of the Polish Home Army who were anti-Semitic because he was yeah. just like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. And there's a way in which all of these guys like embody the Gollum myth. Yeah. In he a way that out I of think, control because like yeah. the, the vengeance takes over in a way that no one is equipped to handle. Yeah, reasonably. Like there's yeah. no there, you can't like knock these guys for becoming the people they became. No. Yeah, like, it's just an incalculable amount of suffering. Yeah. And I think that like when that's transferred on to like what Richard Nixon made, which I think is a similar cultural mythology of like a once important and powerful group of people becoming oppressed hmm. it becomes far more vindictive when those people actually continue to hold on to power yeah and have never like lost any yeah, never lost anything at yeah. all like aside from going huge mistake vietnam yeah yeah <laughs> never never should have done that <laughs> and yeah but yeah and and, none it, of them lost anything for it no yeah and you get so you get this myth of like the white american male that gets tied in with things like country music and thing and like a whole variety of other stuff who is kind of this avenging angel for like western values and i guess i see like i hate to say like the dark version of ava kovner because ava kovner was the dark version of ava kovner <laughs> but like an almost more insidious version of that that arises in groups like the nazis or the proud boys where they get this like protector yeah. of the victimized mentality, despite having never yeah. been victimized. And that lets them just be the most evil fucks the world has ever I made. Mean, we we saw like a very, 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 very microscopic version of this and yeah. redacted in the yeah. uprising where anyone who had signed up for security detail for certain things became batshit. Became batshit insane. Yeah. Yeah. And it it you you let a mythos take over anything that uh, yeah when the mythos becomes like the reason for doing something it's a bad bad time for everyone around you yeah and, and i think and i think that's what's especially interesting about like the golem mythology and how that's so applicable is yeah. that like especially when that mythos is the protection of a culture in a way yeah. that richard nixon was creating with like country music and straight white american heteronormativity once you breathe life into that monstrosity, you have no control. Yeah, I mean, You're protecting it, an idea. Is, this is also, you know, a, me a metaphor and myth that's been with humanity ever. Pandora's box is yeah. the the uh, for for Western society is kind of like the the baseline for this. Yeah. You open up, you can't control it. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think that like just creating protectors of a culture is yeah. just like a fucking terrifying thing to do yeah it's in you know it, it's a sign of an authoritarian regime like you know you have in iran right now like all of the uprisings that have happened have been a result of the uh i i can't remember the the revolutionary guard i think but you know the 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 specific group that is there to enforce the norms of the culture yeah and people finally pushing back against that but it's like always the the concern is always like well how do you how do you do this and not become 
the evil? How do you do this and not become what Alpha Governor? Yeah. And I think that that, I think country music is such a great example of that. And I think that's yeah. kind of the thrust of this episode for me, because like, it's a genre rooted in like the protection of the working class and working class solidarity and values. And then the minute it became like a thing designed to reinforce the idealized working class in the way that Nixon imagined it, it just went bug fuck. Yeah. And so I think like my lesson from all this time I've spent fucking reading about country music is that like the minute we're talking about like genre purity or defending anything like that. True cult. Yeah, we gotta start fucking worrying every time. Well, yeah, no, I mean, to tie it back to my genres, like, you know, eventually I think I'm going to do a bit more of a deeper dive into metal, but, like, the black metal movement came out of that. Like, it was a bunch of very fucking strange people who decided that metal had become too popular and tried to claim that they were the only ones guarding the true roots of metal which for them was not working class people in north england taking bits of like blues and taking bits of psychedelia for them it was like we are going to be scandinavian and we'll burn down churches (laughs) which is you know that's not that's nowhere in the first black sabbath album so god knows where they were coming at that i mean ozzy's spooky looking in that but i don't think that's like in i've listened to black sabbath Dozens of times, and I have never heard a, uh, never felt a need to go and burn down a giant church. Nope. To prove my metalness. Yeah, and the minute you, and that's the like thing. That's the yeah. that's when the golem spirals out of control. When you're like trying to prove authenticity yeah. as a member and of a culture. That's the thing with country music that sets me off the most. With like the stuff that's come out over the last decade, is just it keeps distilling into dumber and dumber incarnations of that. Where I think on our uh, our Dune uh, Discord server, I sent you guys that video of just it was a song that basically just was the word truck repeated <laughs> over and over again <laughs> as if it was like a Tim and Eric sketch, but it's not. It was yeah. a legitimate single that came out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I believe that for sure. <laughs> it's it, like it, getting so unbearable. It's like, yeah, they only talk about like trucks, beer, girls in short jeans, shorts, yeah. like freedom. Yeah. And in our first episode, I was talking to Shark about this uh class trip. I was on in middle school to the to the Ryman, I think. And we, you know, we went around the little country music museum and then a uh, some songwriter was there and he came out and talked to us. And then we had a little treat where we we broke off into pairs and wrote country music songs. And my partner and I wrote a song called 57 Chevy. (laughs) And it was about how we wanted to be in a 57 Chevy. And that was the song. (laughs) Understanding the genre perfectly. Exactly. (laughs) But now it would be, I want to be in a Ford F-350. I want to (laughs) run down some woke liberals. Which doesn't work as well. No, no, it doesn't. (laughs) That's why you just distill it down to truck, truck, 
truck. <laughs> oh, yeah. And like, damn, it just gets worse and worse with every year. To Red Solo cut. Like, oh, Red Solo. <laughs> oh any any Florida joke. Country yeah. rap. Place. Country rap. Yeah. All of the Florida Georgia line genre is just like people trying to prove their authenticity to an art form. Actually, Friends in Low Places and it's not a bad song. Yeah. I kind of like that one. And like neither is Merle Haggard's Okie from Muskogee, which I yeah. find genuinely good. Or yeah. Johnny Cash's What is Truth or like any of these songs that are like relatively thoughtful while still being like vaguely patriotic or vaguely yeah. pandering to like a certain group of people. Cause they're not like out there to prove that they're like country. Enough. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. they, they're not a great band and I don't like them. I don't listen to them anymore. Uh, I think there's only one good album by them, but the Eagles, you yeah. know, like <laughs> that's a country. Sure. Group that's pretty like, uh seven rows stars road something there's some acapella song they have that's really good <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah. well yeah a lot of, a lot of the country music in like the late 90s early 2000s that you know weren't they weren't yet like explicit like you said um yeah they were easy to listen to and they're still nicer to listen to than what we have today in my opinion like Yes, absolutely. <laughs> truck, truck, truck. Do you and listen I, to country music now, Rachel? No, I do you, not. You it brings it back lots your... of memes from uh, Michigan summers. Yeah. Oh, do you do you think back to your time in the Michigan mountains with, with your hill folk cousins, y'all passing around a jug of trout whiskey? <laughs> no. Listening no, to the newest got, kid rock out. Yeah, the scene's all wrong. First of all, we're on a boat in a lake, listening to Kid Rock, other country, (laughs) drinking probably like Bud Light, or you know, depending on who you are, Bush Light. Oh yeah, we had yeah Natty Light Light in college. We got Yingling when I was a sophomore, and that was that was a big news thing. (laughs) That's around the time that Wagon Wheel came out, and let me tell you, wow, exploded. How was that song still popular when I was in college? Because it's catchy. It's a catchy oh. fucking song. And they got good harmonies. Like the the that's a decent album. The one that they came out with, I think it's called Remedy, is pretty okay. But after that one, like they kind of old crow medicine show kind of leaned into losing their minds to prove how conservative and and that's a great example of like yeah. you have to lose your mind to like be in the genre long enough or yeah. else you get dixie chicks yeah and they were starting to do that on remedy there was some there's some i can't remember the title of the song but it's like an awful just saccharine song about like this the 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 speaker of the song is going to a friend's funeral who was in the in afghanistan Fucking and it's Christ. just like they all go to Shoney's or some shit. It's like, buddy, you have not been to a Shoney's in yeah, like no. a 15 years. <laughs> Why yeah. are you doing this song? I think about like one of the things that I really think about in all this is how like Chris Christopherson. Waffle is House. That's what it was. It wasn't Waffle Shoney's. House, it was Waffle yeah. House. Yeah. Chris Christopherson is the greatest country music writer of all time. He's just like, <laughs> damn good. He's like a guy that I think of as looking exactly like John Carpenter, which I know is not true. He looks a lot, but he like, looks John a lot like him. Yeah. Yeah. And 
so like he's written so many country songs that are staples of the genre and he would in no way be able to make country music today he was an oxford educated Rhodes scholar from an elite coastal family i did not know that yeah he has an oxford english degree wow shit and like he was not like a maoist but he was left wing yeah and was <laughs> what do you think maoist country music would sound like <laughs> Songs about re- revolutionary asexuality. <laughs> it's just about like whatever shitty car Mao designed for everyone. <laughs> I love my cap. Yes, yeah. Young women in ill-fitting jumpsuits in summertime. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a genre we need to. That's our. We won't do a punk band. We'll do a Maoist country. <laughs> but, <laughs> which feels like it shouldn't exist, but like white supremacist ska is a thing. So, are you? I don't know. What yeah, those bands yeah. are. That's not good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know much about them, but I know it's it's a thing. Ska. Ska. Yeah, I've never understood ska. It's fine. I don't like there's there's a couple bands that are good, but they all sound the same. So it's yeah. just kinda... Which is kind of the point of the genre. Yeah. This is <laughs> fine. It's like people who like the Grateful Dead. It's like, yeah, this is a good song. Yeah. But there's I mean, one song and it's a good yeah. song. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun to like bounce around to. Yeah. And every ska pit I've been in has been super friendly. Yeah. People like apologize for bouncing into you and it's <laughs> wild. And it's great if you're really high and you just want to yeah. listen to the same song for like 45 minutes. Yeah, you just throw <laughs> yeah. on that record and you're just like... Yeah, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> and it's that for 45 minutes. Wow, And then occasionally like... Yeah. So we're talking about ska. Do we have oh, anything yeah, else yeah. we want to say about the world falling apart due to the creation of guys? <laughs> well, so I um have you heard of the like controversy news with Jason Aldean's wife I recently? I'm so glad I haven't. <laughs> But please enlighten us, Rachel. Yeah, well, she's a part of, well, not a part of anything, but like her and um, the wife of like Travis Tritt. Um, they're some oh. of now like, so wives of country music artists are. Why do all these media. people have names? Like you tried to create a name generator that was racist <laughs> to white people. Jason Aldean. Travis Tritt. There's a there's a post that floats around on r slash baseball every couple of months, and it's like an AI generated roster with names like Sleeve McDyckel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, they're like a part of this like little community now um, of country music wives, where they are just openly um, supporting like Trump and the. Um, yeah overturning the election and all that stuff and like travis tritt's wife what was it oh no it was jason aldean's wife um they are talking about like 
there are still a lot of people, conscious people who've done their research at the elite power players behind the candidates and their agendas. This runs deep. May we all unite and prevail against the powers that be. And like other stuff, like still my president and like the same people counting the coronavirus aren't counting the mail-in ballots, are they? Like just shit like that. The, the so it's like they're waiting just head control. first into, yeah. yeah. So oh, that's very like fun. The uh, the. The amount of people who scream about elites from their phone in their private jet is just like a <laughs> fucking frustrating demographic of humans. Like tweeting from a Learjet about elites who run the world should just get you like drone struck. Yeah. My God. <laughs> fucking people. Well, like, it... of course they have to because they couldn't support anything else like they, they they'd be run out of the genre they get dicky i know but like well, you don't have to say it out loud you know like you don't have to put it on social media it's yeah, so you, you, good for business but it's like what 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 business is jason aldean's wife upholding like it it just it doesn't sound like she's recording his brand i don't think she is no no it, but it, yeah he's just a wife well, it but reminds I can tell me, you uh, exactly what she looks like. I have never sure. seen her before. Yeah, uh, a bad tan, hair that kind of goes like this, and then back a lot. Very <laughs> loud clothes, mm. very loud makeup. You are correct. Yep. Yep. Uh, no, I like so when I was when I worked in social work, I knew. One of my coworkers was um, uh, an army wife, and she hated being an army wife because every other army wife was that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was either that or they were hawking some, you know, vitamin scheme. It, yeah, it, that makes sense. And it, it seems, it, from what I know, it's just gotten worse since, I don't know when that was, two, 20, 2011, whenever that was. It seems like it's again, it's just distilled more and more. The golem has gone out of control, and there yeah. is no Rabbi Lowe to go like, no, yeah. no, <laughs> we're, we're removing that, those words from your forehead. There's no. a cool, uh, there was a, a neat little movie, uh, uh, digression. There's a neat little movie from a few years ago. Uh, I think it was an Israeli movie, but it was about it was called The Golem, and it's like a, 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 a shtetl has a golem. To protect itself against the Cossacks. <laughs> it's a cool little movie. Anyway. But yeah, no, that's it, it, it's all just distilled more yeah. and more. And yeah. I, I I don't know. I think that is one of the like the you can't even say it's about Oregon. Because Oregon outside of the I-5 corridor is that. Yeah. But like one of the good things about the I-5 corridor is that you don't have a preponderance of insane <laughs> maniacs chanting stop the steal every Friday on a street corner outside of Walmart. It is <laughs> your statement is objectively true. It's also the most Aaron Simon thing I've ever heard. You talk about the goodness of a place as directly proportional to its distance from the highway. Well, no, it's so true. I explicitly remember driving through Grants Pass and there was a whole group of people with Trump signs like having a day. Yeah. 
So you are. No, I'm not. I, I'm not pro highway at all. No, but... you're not pro highway. Just highway <laughs> represents civilization. Yeah. <laughs> if Aaron wants to be near a sidewalk. <laughs> With ADA accessibilities. <laughs> yes. God damn it. <laughs> There's no good bagels in Eastern Oregon. There are no good there bagels. There are no good bagels. Guaranteed. It's all Thomas bagels from Walmart. Absolutely. And that's just bread rolls. <laughs> With blueberries and sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. but yeah it's yeah, like yeah. i I, mean, that, I think that is like a, a real fucking bummer about the direction this country is going in and has been in for a long time now i'm not saying this is anything super new but like the self-segregation of populations into more and more distinct silos where mm-hmm. like you know going back to what we were talking about with country music is it starts off as a uh, working class fairly diverse uh genre and then gets like siphoned off the more money there is to just being now trucks trucks and you're seeing that more and more we're like uh i don't know nashville used to be i mean you 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 could find i don't know nashville's a fucking the 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 south is a, a weird fucking beast but there was at some point a time where you could go into a restaurant and see cnn on a tv and now it's just more it's it's not even fox news anymore it's one american network yeah on on tvs and it's like that gets worse and worse and I think I'd mentioned it before. My brother, who was an objectively an idiot, once claimed that Texas would be blue <laughs> by 2024. <laughs> and uh, look how that turned out. He's no longer in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> but he has fled to the redacted city where I live. <laughs> exactly. So now I can force you to come here. We'll talk about that off mic. <laughs> you hear this aaron siblings <laughs> we'll force him to come here oh, no J- joel will never listen to this podcast he Certainly does not have the not attention the span for this <laughs> neither does anyone on that side of, the, of, of that like segment of the family but now i mean going back to the whole country thing it's just it's indicative of just kind of the way mass media works to some extent where everything is distilled to the most palatable modons of of what makes something sellable to a given population. And as the state decides to turn something into its propaganda arm, it becomes something horrifying. Perfectly summarized. Never let the state make a guy.